Welcome to the podcast Beyond the Triangle, Episode 1. I'm Amy Beth Horman, and today is our very first episode entitled Introduction to Beyond the Triangle. This episode will tell you what we are about for everyone out there considering joining us. Beyond the Triangle is a podcast designed specifically for parents raising young artists. I'm going to be giving you real talk from all perspectives, student, teacher, adjudicator, and parent. So let's get started. I am so excited about this first episode, and I'm genuinely thankful for all the support that led me here. This podcast has been in the works for a while, so I just want to take a second to thank everyone who has come to listen as we start the very first Beyond the Triangle podcast. This first introductory episode will tell you a bit about my background and detail what the podcast is going to be about. My goal today is to give you an idea of what to expect while inviting you to come back for more. First up, here's a little bit about me. I'm a violinist, a soloist, a teacher, the mom of three kids, including a young artist, and a fairly new studio parent. I am also the daughter of a very musical family. Both parents were or are professional musicians, and my brother is on Broadway. My father is also a composer, and he taught in the public school system, as he says, until kids stopped laughing at his jokes, and he has a degree in early childhood development. I started violin at age five with violinist Patty Hurd using the Suzuki method in Silver Spring, Maryland. And then I followed up on those studies with violinist Jody Gatwood, who was a student of Ivan Galamian. And I studied with him at the Catholic University of America. At 16, I made a pretty bold decision and I left high school early and moved to Paris alone. There I was accepted at the Paris Conservatory I graduated from the Paris Conservatory with a first prize and an artist diploma where I studied with Gerard Poulet. When I came back to the United States, I competed internationally and then was under solo management for several years. During this time, I founded my private violin studio in DC, the Horman Violin Studio. There, I fell in love with teaching and taught all levels. I had the absolute privilege of watching students grow many of whom are now studying at leading music institutions and pursuing careers in music. I did a lot of adjudicating both in the area and also in a few national and international competitions where I learned a lot about the other side of the equation when it comes to competing. I also continued to concertize a lot, both as soloist with orchestra and also in recital while teaching a fully competitive studio. In the midst of all of this, I started my own daughter, Ava, on violin, and she is now dreaming of being a concert violinist herself. Last year, my family moved to San Francisco and started a brand new chapter together. My then seven-year-old daughter, Ava, was accepted to the San Francisco Conservatory pre-college program for young musicians and is now studying violin with Davis Law. Having taught her for a few years by myself, I have somehow repositioned my role as a practice partner and suddenly find myself as a studio mom. So in essence, I have many perspectives now. Violinist, pre-college conservatory student, teacher, competition judge, conservatory parent, studio mom. I found myself talking to conservatory parents last year and relating to things in a whole new way. 
We spoke about our roles as studio parents, our frustrations, our fears, and also our overwhelming pride in our kids. It was enlightening to be on the other side of the fence, having had countless conversations with my own studio parents over the years. And I have to say, things are a bit clearer now. And that's a good thing. There's nothing in the world like being the parent of a young artist. It is so rewarding, and it also has many challenges. Beyond the Triangle is the title of a course I've proposed to higher institutions of learning and is dedicated to the families of the pre-college level musician. It addresses what I believe pop up as challenges for students and families who are headed into pre-professional training for classical music. I referenced the triangle in my title because to me, as a former Suzuki student and teacher, I know the triangle well, and I deeply appreciate the support and education that's offered to families who study the Suzuki method. In the Suzuki communities, the networking and literature and support is amazing, and it now embraces technology with social media, podcasts, blogs, Facebook groups. It's way past the institutes and in-studio education or literature we all had in the 70s. But what happens with students who are entering pre-college level training? This is what we're going to be focusing on here. Having spoken to many parents raising kids at this advanced level, they need a lot of support too. And that isn't to say that the beginner or intermediate level parents wouldn't appreciate this podcast, because I'm quite sure they could learn a lot from these topics too, maybe just to get a head start on things, especially if you feel your kid is definitely headed in that direction, or maybe you as a family have made a decision that you're in it for the long haul for any variety of reasons. But these kids embarking on pre-professional training, either in pre-college programs or high-level studios, are studying virtuosic repertoire at younger and younger ages, and there isn't a lot of literature out there to guide the parents. In Suzuki training, the triangle refers to teacher, parent, and child. But as they get further in their training, I believe we are looking at a pyramid of sorts. There are so many sides that need to be positioned thoughtfully. I've watched this process many times build from the bottom up, and I'm truly fascinated by it. So this podcast is aimed toward the parents of young artists as they make the next leg of their journey together. I also suspect teachers might enjoy the common threads of it, so I really hope some of you will join along. I taught this particular level of training for years, and the parents and families are always excited to enter the next stage of learning. They know innately how important it is, and in many cases, they are raising the kids that will fill our stages so we all have a big burden to bear. Luckily, there is also immense joy and pride coming from all sides. The students are still very young. At times, some of them are in elementary school, and they're training already hours a day with big dreams. They have their own specific concerns and challenges, many of them tying to their ages and temperaments. They're straddling schoolwork, family, and practice along with youth symphony auditions and competitions. They need tons of support, keeping on schedule, organizing their materials, instrument maintenance and care, achieving effective practice and rehearsal methods, the works. I'm going to cover all of this in these podcasts. From my conversations with parents, they have indicated that they need help with handling stage fright, understanding the politics of competitions and auditions, strategies for making practice effective, advice on summer festivals, information on the ins and outs of changing studios, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. If you feel lost with some or all of this while trying to raise your talented young musician, this podcast might be for you. 
I'm going to be dividing up sections of podcasts by age group to help you identify solutions and strategies that will work for your kids specifically. What helps an 8-year-old stay motivated will not always work for the 14-year-old. But be sure to listen to the whole thing as every kid develops at their own pace. We will be talking about mindset and child development and the role of the whole family. And here's the thing, most of the challenges at this level don't exactly line up with your child's development, and a different approach or level of understanding can really help. Last year, I helped give a seminar on raising young artists at my daughter's conservatory. It was such a privilege to meet with the parents at the San Francisco Conservatory. I am one of them, but my background is different than most. In the meeting, our pre-college director divided our talk into age categories because kids need different practical and emotional support at different times. Here's a short story I like to tell to loosely demonstrate this. So years ago, I was hired to do a masterclass at a leading music institution in the DC metropolitan area. The masterclass was a performance class, so it was open to not just violinists, but all instrumentalists. The students chosen by the institution were preparing to play at the Kennedy Center on Millennium Stage, and they presented their programs to me that day so that I could help polish them up. One of the talented young musicians that day was an oboist who I estimate to have been around 14. He performed for me, and his talent was very apparent from the first note. He had a distinct voice, he had clean, compelling phrasing, I know nothing about the oboe, but having judged enough concerto competitions, I was really impressed by this young man. He had something very special, and it wasn't surprising that he was representing his institution at the Kennedy Center. His parents also sat proudly in attendance. The only problem that he had was with his reed. It was making all sorts of strange sounds and causing really obvious problems with his tone. Not all the time, mind you, but enough of the time that you were kind of worried about him and found yourself sinking into a comfort zone, listening to him play so beautifully, only to be yanked back out by this really weird noise that the reed was making. It was really hard to be the audience for him because of this one thing. So after I thanked him for his lovely playing, I immediately asked him what was up and if he was having equipment problems. He looked mildly annoyed at the question, which kind of triggered my mom brain. And he said, yes, he was having read problems, but he knew he, that I wouldn't understand because I was a violinist. I smiled at him. I reassured him that I found him to be a great player and a great musician. And I was fairly certain he was going to have a wonderful performance that weekend. But then I asked where his mom was. She smiled at me, I think not knowing what I was going to say. I asked her if her son was the kind of kid who kept his schoolwork organized. Put clothes in the hamper, ironed his shirts, put the dishes back in the sink. She laughed at me and said, no way. And I said, well, do you think this relates at all to the read problems he's having? I then asked if there was something more she or her husband or family could do to support him in the maintenance and care of his instrument. She said, sure, but she wanted him to learn to do it himself, too. Understandable, right? He's 14. And his mom wanted him to start taking care of his own needs. Well, that's great parenting, really. I could relate. 
We then talked about the state of his wrinkled part on the music stand. Why was he even using music? Was he doing mock performances at home? Was he practicing and doing score study to help him memorize? What was he planning on wearing on Sunday to perform? He was in sneakers that day, apparently having outgrown his dress shoes. This probably sounds basic, right? Some 14-year-olds will do this on their own. Fact is, most won't, though. So you might have gotten kicked out of their lessons by this point, but you aren't out of the game entirely. I think you see where I'm going. But the thing is, these prep and presentation details are not small, and especially not on Kennedy Center stage. And while some of them have to do with dress code and simple matters of appearance, falling squarely in the parenting handbook, others have to do with supporting and prioritizing pedagogy at home and maintaining your instrument and equipment. My point to her that day, which she received with a lot of grace, by the way, is that she can't expect kids to defy their pediatric descriptions just because they're talented at music. You know those lists that the pediatricians hand out when you come in for your appointments? I love those lists. They always make me feel like a better parent. I think to myself things like, Oh, that's why she's arguing with me so much. Or, oh, that must be why he just doesn't seem to want to ever talk to me anymore. What I'm really trying to say is, just because our kids are moving at an alarming rate as young musicians doesn't mean that their child development is following suit. You may very well have to scaffold all of it around their training while you also watch them growing as people. I know as the music gets harder and they head into teen years, you might be wondering what your role is anymore besides chauffeur and ATM, especially if you're not a musician and the lessons have exceeded your level of understanding. We all remember attending the earlier training when we took notes and understood the basics enough to reinforce them at home, but that doesn't last forever. We can't just all become personal assistants to our kids and expect them to know how to live a normal adult life on their own later. They still need to take initiative, learn how to manage their own schedules, mess up, fall down, get back up and try again. But hopefully without wrecking that audition they have on Saturday. You know, the one they've been sacrificing the last six months or longer for, and they aren't the only ones sacrificing. You get the gist. Another hot topic of a young musician's life I will be diving headfirst into in these podcasts is practice techniques. Whenever I have a trial audition for a new student, I ask lightly, how's practice going? And as I ask, I turn to see the parent's face. I do that because they know what's going on with practice, and I really want to understand how they feel. One concern from a parent was about practice, and how it wasn't being prioritized, making him question kind of what level of commitment his child even had. He didn't look judgmental or overly critical of them. He actually just looked concerned. And I understand that. After all, maybe he's investing a lot in their education and the whole family could be arranging portions of their life around this dream of being a musician. So I asked him, how was his kid in keeping other commitments? Household ones, school ones, promises to family and friends. He chuckled a little as he realized where I was heading with this. Because these are still in the works, right? At 14, they really are. 
but do they do them without prompts or encouragement? Maybe these examples I asked him about aren't attached to a dream, mind you, but most commitments aren't. Does the fact that the commitment of practice is attached to a dream give it the weight that it needs to see itself through? Having had a teen myself, I don't think so. We need to ask ourselves some tough questions. How are you as a parent modeling what commitment looks like, especially a commitment attached to a passion or a talent? Or what examples are we putting in front of them to show them that slow and steady sometimes wins the race? In the earlier stages of learning, we saw progress quicker, repertoire was shorter, and could be ready for stage in a few months, which was so gratifying, and it kept the kids motivated. It kept the parents motivated. There is no cramming left for this kind of training now. The body can't learn the Rococo variations crammed into one weekend, the way it can study for an exam in school. How are we helping support slow and steady practice? And more importantly, what can we do to make sure our kids keep their commitments to themselves long enough so that they see it become fruitful and then are empowered by it? How do our actions and support need to shift with each age group? And what cues will they even give us along the way so that we can adjust our actions on time? The vast majority of kids I have known studying at this level, at any age, need an accountability partner at the very least. And yes, they will thank you for it, even if there are arguments along the way. I've actually experienced them thanking parents in person, and it is pretty terrific to watch. If a kid says they have a dream and they show passion for it, parents know to listen. That seems simple enough. But nobody said they will have any idea how to get there or how they'll be tested. They also don't know when they're going to get in their own way while they're doing that awkwardly beautiful business of growing up. We don't know how they will react to the inevitable bumps in the road. They're still getting to know themselves as people and we're watching while it happens. The training of a young musician carries specific challenges and it will tap into both their unique gifts as people as well as their unique gifts as musicians. This will be a really beautiful road of discovery. Here's an example. I have seen little people be truly tested by the teaching of a new technique. When I say little people, I mean eight to 10 year olds. And where everyone else in the room becomes uncomfortable and starts to fidget, they remain stoic and focused, and they are going to get that spiccato stroke. They won't flinch even once while we try it over and over. I lock eyes with them, and I know that they are fine. Sometimes it takes weeks or months, but they get it. And while they do, everybody around them learns something really important about them. They are a very gritty learner. Meanwhile, sometimes parents on the sidelines of this are looking nervously at me, researching solutions at home on YouTube, contacting other parents to ask for advice, and I promise you the kid is actually fine, but I can relate to them. They're nervous. They're anxious about the fact that this is taking a little longer than they're used to. They don't understand the technique entirely, and their kid normally picks up things really quickly, what could be missing? If we're lucky, the kid doesn't pick up on this anxiety, but sometimes we're not. I've seen similarly talented kids 
daunted by the first challenge, anxious at a textbook setback, and their parents might be sitting calmly and reassuring from the other side of the room, using all the right words. Both kids will learn to do spiccato. It will look really different getting there though, and that's okay. It could just be that your learning style differs from your kids and you need to edit yourself a little, observing, watching it unfold. The role of the observer is really underrated in pre-college training. The important thing to know in my opinion is that the parents can make it harder or easier. So your role definitely matters. By now, some of you are thinking, wait, should we all still be in our lessons? And for some of you, I say, of course you should. All kids are different, but I know I am still very needed in my eight-year-old's lessons, and she is pretty high temperament. So I also know she's going to be asking me to leave soon. I had parents in lessons for some and out for others. It has to do with knowing your kid and being open enough to communicate with your teacher so that you can know what they think will work best at each level. But that's probably a future podcast waiting to happen. How do you know it is okay to let your kid fly solo in their training? Keep in mind, too, that in the examples I gave, one kid is more naturally gifted in the temperament most believe necessary for rigorous classical training. But the other can still do it. And if you are a parent looking to help your child develop more grit in their learning style or their mindset, you will need to contribute to the equation only in the right ways. Either way, in auditions or performances, nobody looks for the history of how the spiccato got there. They're just thrilled to see it. They look at that end product. So how are we, the parents, contributing from the sidelines to our child's training or practice? These are the things I want to focus on in this podcast. What can we do as parents to help them grow as musicians while they are busy growing as people? And boy, they are really busy. We are looking at a field which is getting more and more difficult to break into, and one where I have to say there are really and truly no shortcuts. While IQ, genetics, physical makeup, and the quality of your training certainly matter very much, how does the parent's role factor in and how much difference can it make? In my opinion, at certain junctures, your role in the end might be the most important of them all. I see the parents as so crucial to this equation. And here's some real talk. I have witnessed parents both damage a career and raise a kid to success. Behind the scenes, I also see parents, particularly in the pre-college level, lacking community and education on how to do better for their kids. And they really want to do better. They need help with how to shift their role successfully as kids grow and mature during their training. They need frank honesty from their teachers and other musicians who have been in the field for a long time. Watching our young kids try to perform some of the hardest literature in their instruments repertoire is both stressful and exhilarating, but it doesn't need to feel alone. I'm choosing to start these podcasts now because I find myself feeling the myriad of things pre-college parents do in full force with my daughter currently auditioning, performing, and training. I find myself on a weekly basis dealing with challenges centered around this stage of learning, but then I'm able to stop and feel fortunate that I have the experience I do, 
I can settle my own concerns or nerves most of the time, thankfully. I hope with these podcasts that I put out some new ideas, support from afar, build some community, and alleviate fears and anxieties for parents. I am certain that some of you are raising the next generation of musicians out there. Thanks for listening today and stay tuned for our next podcast. I am up and running now and promise that I have just gotten started. Podcast two will deal with practice, how to help our kids discover the power of practice. This is the topic people have asked me to tackle first, and I am ready. Don't miss a beat. Subscribe to our podcast on Podbean. If you have a question or a topic you would like to discuss on Beyond the Triangle, my ears are wide open. Write me at beyondthetrianglepodcast at gmail.com and let's connect.